reading from Peter's first letter. Now as an elder myself and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory to be revealed, I exhort the elders among you to tend the flock of God that is in your charge, exercising the oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you do it, not for sordid gain, but eagerly. Do not lord it over those in your charge, but be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will win the crown of glory that never fades away. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders, and all of you must clothe yourselves with humility in your dealings with one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. He took the twelve aside again and began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, they will mock him and spit upon him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, we are able. Then Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the 10 heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. Speak to us, awaken us, and enliven us by your life-giving spirit, we pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen. 
Well, for those of you who are visiting City Church for the first time today or maybe visiting uh, for the first time in a while, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, we have been working our way through the Gospel of Mark for several months now, and we will continue to be doing that uh, for a few more months. And we come today to this passage in which we find Jesus speaking directly to his disciples about leadership. And it's an interesting time for us to be considering Jesus's words about leadership, isn't it? Um, it's obvious this is a historically significant week. Last week was, this week will be in the theater of American political leadership. The impeachment trial in the Senate, drama, passionate and sharp disagreements from both sides um, about how the trial per should proceed, along with accusations aimed across the aisle from both sides about leaders capitulating to political pressure or being more loyal to their party or to their own aspirations for re-election than to the Constitution or the American people. And there's been ever more commentary or even more commentary than usual floating about this week about leaders and leadership, right? So that's a, it's, it's an interesting moment to be looking at this text. It's also an interesting season in the life of our church because we have actually recently received nominations for rising leaders, candidates to be officers in the church. And right now there's a group, small group of them who are going through training um, and a discernment process about serving as leaders at City Church. And really, anytime we come to passages in the Gospels in which Jesus is talking to his disciples, who are future leaders of his church, right, in the Gospels, about leadership, I think we're always going to have at least two obstacles to overcome right at the outset. And the first is an obstacle for those of us who see ourselves as leaders, and the second is an obstacle for those who don't. For those who see ourselves as leaders, I think it goes something like this that we, um, maybe in our work or in the community or some organization in some capacity, we find ourselves in places of leadership. And we like to learn about how to be good leaders, right? We like to learn skills. We like to learn character traits, habits, strategies that make for effective leadership. And so we've read books and we've listened to podcasts and we've watched TED Talks, maybe even gone, gone to some seminars or we've received coaching. Some of you have even given coaching about how to be a good leader. And the challenge when we come to a text like this is that we may be inclined to hear Jesus's words here as analogous to those kinds of things, those very good things, that we also consume and listen to, to be filed away, if you will, in our same mental filing folder as some of our favorite resources on leadership. And to be sure there's like a ton of good stuff to know, right, about leadership, about healthy and effective leadership. And some of you know a lot about that. And some of you model that really well. And that's a good thing. You have much to offer the rest of us, and we do well to follow and learn from you. But those leadership skills are not what Jesus is talking about here. Not directly, anyway. And if we're going to really hear Jesus and let his words land, we need to recognize here that Jesus isn't so concerned with teaching his disciples about how to be effective leaders nearly as much as he is concerned to teach them about how to be authentic followers of Jesus, which of course is the ultimate prerequisite for leadership in the community of those seeking to follow Jesus. And many of us know all too well, some of us all too personally, 
just how tragic and damaging it can be when leaders in the church become more into leading people than they are into following Jesus, right? More into the privileges that come with their leadership position than with the responsibility to serve that comes with following Jesus into a new way of being human in the world. And when that happens, leaders can so often become entitled or lazy or self-protective or worse, hypocritical, manipulative, even abusive. And just to be honest at the outset, I think that's what makes this such an uncomfortable text to preach. Because just to be honest, I can see in my own life, likely as you can see in your own, specific ways where I can be more into leading people than into following Jesus. Places where I'm afraid to go wherever Jesus would take me. Where I'm too willing to settle for what's comfortable. Where I'm complacent with a lack of transformation in my own life. Or where I'm quick to lead with action instead of prayer, which is obviously not what following Jesus looks like. I can see those things in myself. And it's not fully comforting to know that you too can see those things in yourself because I'm the only one talking, which is a little bit awkward. I I do have to admit. I'm mindful I'm the only one talking right now, and I'm also mindful that it's people like me and me who need to hear what Jesus is saying more than anybody. need to take them to heart most seriously. What we'll see in the story is it's precisely this dynamic of leaders seeking to be served rather than seeking to serve that Jesus confronts here. And he does it in a way that is fundamentally different from every other leadership principle or skill or even character trait, I think, that we would learn learn about elsewhere. Because it's uniquely attached to himself, this way that he confronts this problem. And those of us who see ourselves as leaders and who like to learn about leadership, we face the challenge, this obstacle, of this tendency to miss the heart of Jesus' message. And this tendency to, to go right past letting his words land. Because we're hearing a message about being authentic followers, but what we're looking for is a message about becoming effective leaders. So we need to listen afresh. But the second obstacle that we also have to overcome is the one that is right there in front of any of you who may feel like, well, I'm not a leader. This can't possibly be for me. Jesus must be speaking past me, not to me, through this text. Maybe you're someone who identifies more strongly with some of Jesus' other audiences. The skeptic, the sufferer, or the sinner, the outcast. But the church leader? Not so much. If that's you this morning, I hope what you'll see is that Jesus is telling his disciples not something that is primarily leadership 101, but is discipleship 101. And it's Jesus' invitation and even summons to follow him into a new way of being human in the world that is beautiful and compelling and that actually gives life to others. For Jesus, leadership is first and foremost about followership, discipleship, which when you see it play out in the world and in relationships, it looks like servanthood, he tells us. And that invitation that we find in this text, Jesus' invitation is to really follow him into this new life. 
into a renewed vitality and purpose in the world in friendship with God. And that invitation is for you. No matter where you're coming from this morning, no matter who you are, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what your situation in life is, no matter how cold or distant you may be feeling this morning, Jesus' invitation is for you. And speaking of whatever you might be feeling, I love how the gospel writer Mark in this passage lets us in on this whole range of emotions that his disciples feel in the course of this story as they follow Jesus and continue to work out what it looks like and what it means for them to be following him. In this first scene that we see in the beginning in verse 32, the disciples are what? They are amazed and afraid, Mark tells us. And then beginning in verse 35, we see two of the disciples, namely James and John, feeling especially ambitious, right? And then in verse 41, we see the other ten disciples becoming angry with the two who are seeking to be promoted over the rest of the group. And in each of these scenes, we discover really something important about what it means to follow Jesus in the way of God's kingdom. So if you look at verse 32, just this first one, what we see is the disciples following Jesus in the most literal way. They're actually following him behind him on the road. Jesus has gone ahead of them in what Mark says is the way, the road, to Jerusalem. And there's a group of followers that's larger than the 12 disciples, but inclusive of the 12 disciples, who are following behind Jesus in amazement and fear. And interestingly, the way Mark phrases that in this verse corresponds almost exactly to the way he describes the women at the empty tomb later in the story when you come to the end of Mark's gospel. After Jesus' resurrection, we see the angel at the tomb telling the women that Jesus is going on ahead of them to Galilee. And you see them respond. They are wrapped in amazement and fear. And some commentators say that this parallel is Mark's way of showing us that amazed and afraid is actually part of what it looks like to follow Jesus. That amazement and fear are actually constitutive of discipleship. That Jesus takes us into places and situations and relationships that we would otherwise avoid. We're in the context of our own vulnerability and our own dependence upon God. We actually begin to experience the amazingness of his power, of his presence, of his love of his transformative activity in our lives and in the world. And so I think a helpful question to reflect on for us this morning as we think about following Jesus is just this. Does your life of following Jesus take you into experiences of being amazed and afraid? If not, what do you think is maybe one place where God is calling you to go that you've been avoiding because it's too scary. Maybe it's a relationship that feels too scary to reconcile or a wound that feels too scary to revisit or a secret that feels too scary to make known or maybe it's a life change that feels too scary to make or reaching out for help in a way that you've always been too scared to do. 
Is there, is there a place in your life you think God is calling you to go? Is there a way of living in your life where to follow Jesus more fully and more consistently in your life would take you into a place that is scary, where you're vulnerable, where you're confronted with needing the grace and forgiveness of others or needing to extend it across pain that feels terrifying. So often it's our failure of courage to enter the scary places that keeps us from experiencing the amazingness of Jesus and what he's actually doing in the world and in our lives. And I've been reflecting this week on how that's true of me. And I just ask you, would you reflect this week as well? How is that true of you? How is that true of you? Are there places you're too scared to go? And what would it look like to follow Jesus into them? Why are the disciples amazed and afraid in the story? Well, this is the first time in Mark's gospel that Jerusalem is named as the destination to where they're headed. And for the disciples who have already identified Jesus as the Messiah who is going to restore the kingdom of Israel on earth, Journeying to Jerusalem, Jerusalem likely means one thing, revolution, coup. And Jesus is the one they expect to come out victorious. Jesus, he's going to come drive out the Roman rulers, they think. It's time. And Jesus is leading the way. He's going up ahead of them on the road. He's determined. And so there's this thrill of anticipation in the air, and there's the fear of what is about to go down, an amazement at Jesus, that he's actually doing it. And that's when Jesus takes his 12 disciples aside and he tells them for the third time now, but this time with more detail than he's ever told them before, just what is going to happen when they get to Jerusalem. It won't be a messianic coup of the kind that they're expecting. Jesus says he's going to be handed over to the Jewish leaders and they will condemn him to death. And then they will hand him over to the Roman leaders and they will beat and humiliate him and then kill him. And then after three days, he will rise again. Have the disciples understood this time? Enter James and John. Exhibits B and C in Mark's case for the denseness of the disciples. If you remember Peter, the first time Jesus told them, what did he do? He rebuked Jesus and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. If you remember the second time that Jesus told about his death and resurrection, immediately following, you see the disciples grumbling about who is the greatest, and you see Jesus explaining to them they must become like little children to follow in the way of the kingdom. Not meaning you must become cute and snuggly, but that you must divest yourself of the status to which you cling, because children were those who had no status, no place at the table. And to these is the kingdom of God, Jesus says. And so here come James and John. And they're like, okay, Peter, you thought you, you thought you messed it up. Disciples grumbling of who are the greatest, you thought you messed it up. Hold my beer. Watch. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we want. Sounds ridiculous, but just be honest. How often do your prayers sound just like that? How often do my prayers sound just like that? Or how often do your doubts sound just like that? I can't believe in a God who would or who wouldn't give me what I want or do such a thing. Jesus replies, what do you want me to do? And they respond with a big ask. 
Grant us to sit at your right and left hand in your glory. In other words, what they're asking, when we ride into Jerusalem and the messianic coup goes down and it's over and you take your throne as the king, we want cabinet positions, the best ones. Vice President, Secretary of State, that's what we want. What do you say? They're politically ambitious. They want status and they want power. And they're in Jesus' inner circle. Really, Peter and James and John are Jesus' like main guys, right? The inner circle of three inside of the circle of 12. And so they have a relational leg up, they feel, and they're working it to their own advantage. And Jesus simply says to them, you have no idea what you are asking for. And you can almost hear Jesus' weariness in his reply. Are any of you feeling weary this week of unabashed political ambition and aspirations of self-promoting leaders? I am feeling weary of that this week. I suspect some of you are as well, and as Stacy has already beautifully prayed about this morning. Jesus replies, and you can almost feel the weight of his sigh, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? To be baptized with the baptism that I'm, baptism, that I'm baptized with. Baptism and the cup, they're these signs of like the beginning and the culmination of Jesus' ministry, marking the totality of his earthly ministry from the moment he was anointed as Messiah in his baptism in the Jordan to these final moments of his betrayal and his death where he will offer the cup to his followers and then drink the cup of judgment the prophets foretold at the cross. Right? We'll drink it to the dregs as the savior of the world. And Jesus just responds, are you really able to do that? It's a rhetorical question because the answer is obviously no. But what do they say? We can. Totally, we are your guides. I don't think they had face palm emojis then, or Mark would have put it right there in his gospel. Jesus simply replies humbly that the baptism and cup that he can offer, yes, they will experience that. To share in his sufferings, to share in his ministry of love, and to experience the pain of that. But the seats of honor they requested, Jesus says, you know what, those aren't even mine to grant. Those are for the people for whom it's been prepared. Even in that moment, Jesus, as the king, doesn't grasp at what's not given to him. But he depends upon his father for even those things and model for James and John a very different kind of leadership than what they are trying to inhabit themselves. And what James and John don't realize is that the next time in Mark's gospel we encounter Someone on the right and someone on the left of Jesus, they're not enthroned upon thrones of glory. They're hanging on the cross next to him, saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Sharing in the glory of Jesus necessarily involves sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. They just don't understand that yet. But of course, as Jesus is talking to them, the other ten, ten disciples, when they begin to hear what James and John are up to, they're maneuvering trying to promote themselves above the rest of the group, they're understandably angry. And Jesus takes this opportunity to give them a very important leadership lesson. And he tells them that leadership in God's kingdom, leadership in the community of the people that would follow Jesus, must look different than the leadership that we see in the world. Because the kingdom of God comes 
by an entirely different power and an entirely different logic than all the other kingdoms of this earth. He says that the Gentiles, meaning the Romans, the the imperial governors who are over them, they use their authority and they lord it over people. They make their subordinates serve them. But not so in God's kingdom. And Jesus even then says that for this son of man figure, right? Son of man, this name Jesus takes to himself, evoking images of this glorious divine warrior from Daniel who comes riding on clouds. This glorious figure, even the son of man, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And what we see is that Jesus himself leads by serving by spending his life for others, and that's what he wants his followers to do as well. This is the way the kingdom comes. Not by Jesus grasping and dominating, but by Jesus releasing his status, becoming humble, becoming the servant of all, spending his life leveraging all that he is and has for the world, that he becomes our savior. And he says, this is what leadership in the kingdom is. This is what I have come to do, and this is what I'm sending you in the world to do in fellowship and friendship with me. Leadership is about followership first. Discipleship first. And when we follow the suffering servant Messiah into the world, we become suffering servants with him. But of course, the suffering isn't the end of the story, is it? As Jesus told his disciples the road that he was about to walk and what was about to go down in Jerusalem, he doesn't end with suffering, he doesn't end with flogging, he doesn't end with mockery or humiliation or pain. He doesn't even end with death. And then he will rise again. And that story of Jesus is the story of those who share the life of Jesus, who follow him into the world, who share in his sufferings and share in his glory. Leadership is about followership first. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may exalt you in due time. As Jesus did, so should his disciples do. Fear and mission, service. Three episodes in this leadership story of Jesus to leave with as we we think about what it means to step into this life of following Jesus. Or those of us who are entrusted to lead others as we think about what are we leading them with, what are we leading people toward? Are we walking in fellowship with our Savior who did not try to take control of the results but was simply faithful at every step with the means God gave him to use? How are your fears keeping you from embarking on that beautiful, compelling life to which Jesus calls you? Where are you too afraid to go, and what would it look like to to embark with Jesus on that courageous journey of going there so that you may be amazed afresh at what God will do in your life and in the lives of those around you? 
Where are your ambitions keeping you from embarking on this kingdom mission with Jesus where your grasping at life is keeping you from receiving the very gift of your life that God has given you? Will you know the joy, will you know the contentment that comes from surrendering your own ambitions to follow Jesus, to become a servant of all? This is what God is doing in the world and in us. And as you look at the fearful, <laughs> the fearful reality of what it looks like to live a life of love and to spend a life for the good of others, to humble yourself and not grasp at life yourself, at the end of the day, where else can we look to but Jesus himself to be reminded that you can trust him with your life? Can you see in Jesus the beautiful and compelling life embodied in our world as not only an example for you to follow, but as the very one who holds your life himself, the one who serves with everything he has, the one who spent his life as a ransom for many because he loves you. We love because he first loved us. We serve because he first served us. May God give us grace that it would be so. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you govern all things, both in heaven and earth. Would you now mercifully hear the prayers of your people, and in our time, grant us your peace and the courage to follow you in the way of life everlasting. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.